section twenty four of the beginning of the middle ages by richard william church this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter ten results of the break-up of the frank empire part three italy imperial italy within whose borders it was ever held that an emperor must receive his crown had acquired from the policy of charles the great an increased importance among the new nations it awoke at his death to the desire of independence a desire never to be extinguished but which it was to take long ages to fulfil italy was still divided as in the days of the lombard kings into a number of lordships great and small each of the three grandsons of charles the great either personally or in their children had with the dignity of emperor claimed to hold italy with charles the fat in eight eighty eight it was lost to the carolingian family then it seemed as if the days of the lombards whose name had not yet perished from the style of the kings of italy were coming back again the dukes of two of the old lombard kingdoms berengar of friuli in the north guido of spoleto in the centre became rival claimants for the kingdom of italy such as it had been before charles overthrew the lombard desiderius for sixty years of turbulence and war the kingdom was fought for by pretenders italians and foreigners from provence and burgundy rome was either in the hands of the popes or of the people of rome or of some daring lords of the neighbourhood who called themselves consuls or patricians in this disorder italy was but in the same condition as germany or gaul but no hugh capet or henry of saxony was to arise and lay the foundations of a national kingdom in italy at rome lay the spell which drew the invader at rome were the great universal interests which gave him good reason or pretext for coming rome was the seat where emperors were wont to sit and it was the emperor's first business to protect to purify to do right at rome and at the end of the carolingian times and the beginning of the tenth century rome was at the lowest depths of disorder and shame charles had come to deliver rome and the popes from the oppression of the lombard kings in the middle of the tenth century otto the greatest of german kings since charles claiming charles's place and title descended from the alps to deliver rome from scandalous popes and tyrannous nobles more romantic than charles he came also to deliver and to marry a distressed and widowed queen the good and beautiful adelheit of provence whom the lombard usurper berengar as he is called wished to force into a distasteful marriage otto extinguished again as charles had done the power and claims of the italian or lombard king of pavia and verona adelard's enemy the second berengar crowned king of the italians at milan in 951 he was crowned emperor of the romans by the pope at rome in 962 he confirmed the rights of the roman see but he asserted in large terms those of the empire and he had his young son otto the second also crowned emperor by the pope in 967 but his coming though it brought with it something of restored order 
and also prepared the way for a reformed popedom, destroyed the chance of an Italian state. His coming riveted Italy to the empire, and the empire was henceforth to be kept in German hands, as the papacy was for the most part kept in Italian. By the coronation of Otto the two great powers were finally established, which, as it was supposed then and for ages afterwards, were indispensably necessary to govern the temporal and spiritual order of the world, the Holy Roman Empire, the Holy Roman Church. Instead of governing the world between them, as Charles and Otto dreamed, they were soon to meet in irreconcilable and fatal conflict. Between them, Italy was torn to pieces by domestic strife, and became the natural and accustomed prey of strangers, coming of their own accord or invited from within. For a short interval there arose the turbulent and brilliant liberty of the cities. Then came the tyrants, the Scaligers, the Visconti, the Sforzas, the Medici, the Borgias, the Farnese, and then the days of the foreign dynasties. But never since Otto clenched the work of Charles, till our own times, has it been possible for Italy to be what her sister nations were. Modern nations were consolidated and bound together in their early stages, not always by the power, but by the idea and the presence of the crown. And the crown of Italy, the iron crown of Lombardy, the golden crown of the empire, was always in the keeping of a stranger. What the fifth and sixth centuries were to the Teutonic nations, Goths, Franks, Burgundians, the period of the beginnings of their settled national life. This the ninth and tenth centuries were, to the second great line of barbarian movements, the Scandinavian and Slav nations. It was the time which brought them to rest in the seats which they were henceforth to occupy. From wanderers, marauders, invaders, they did not indeed at once pass into citizens, but they became settlers, finding homes and founding a country in lands which were for the future to be called after their names. They did not, like the Franks and Goths, or even as much as the Anglo-Saxons, come into a heritage prepared for them by an older cultivation, a land of farms and vineyards, of cities and the arts of peace. And this doubtless affected their history, and caused that comparative rudeness which clings still to the east of North Europe. But they felt the influence of a more fixed order in the organized nations beyond them. From mere tribes and hordes, they began to shape themselves into dukedoms and kingdoms. Around the great central state, the empire, mainly German and in German hands, which represented the power and law of Western Europe, the names and boundaries and rude political efforts of realms afterwards to be famous began to appear. But as in the case of Hungary just referred to, they appear only in very obscure forms and dim outlines. The Northmen, not only in what is now Denmark, but in what are now Norway and Sweden, were beginning to be welded together into distinct nations under the strong and fierce discipline of ambitious kings, like Harold Harfager, the fair-haired, and his family, Eric Bloodaxe, Hakon, and Olaf, 863-1000. The successes of their countrymen, who had won provinces and founded princely houses, 
the familiarity which their adventures had given them with the state and power of the emperors and kings of christendom turned their thoughts from the mere excitement of a rover's life to the desire of founding dominions at home and bringing under the king's authority not merely the military service but the loose independence and the landed tenure of their wild countrymen the attempts caused much resistance and great emigrations but the kings carried their point they became rulers over subjects wars did not cease but they became more and more national ones replacing piracy and private adventures and the three scandinavian kingdoms as we know them were formed frequently united more or less under a conqueror like canute but always separate as nations while the northmen were shaping themselves into organized states among the mountains and on the fjords of norway the lakes of sweden and the heaths and islands of denmark the same thing was taking place in the vast wilderness of pine forest marshes and boundless plains south and east of the baltic we begin to see on the historical map of europe amid the crowd of ill-understood and forgotten names with which it is studded from the oder and the vistula to the volga belonging mostly to different branches of the great slav family two designations emerging which were of no more account at the time than those around them but which announced the beginning of two of the most famous nations of the modern world between the slav races of strange names who were to become lithuanians prussians pomeranians lets to the north slovaks to the south czechs in bohemia and moravia another branch begins to change the name of lech jachen for that of polaks poles meaning in their own language the people of the plains the great plains of the vistula in the middle of the ninth century we begin to hear of polish chiefs at the end of the tenth there had arisen a polish kingdom under a powerful and victorious king boleslaus nine ninety two to ten twenty five here its history begins so full of turbulence and incorrigible anarchy within of aggression and tyrannous insolence without and perhaps of all histories the most pathetic at its close again in the northeast another name which was to become that of a mighty people the natural antagonist of poland first its victim and then its destroyer began to be distinguished that famous name first appears in greek and latin writers of the ninth century in the shape of an indeclinable word hoiros toros the rus as if it stood for some unimaginable abstraction it soon became familiar at constantinople as the name of sea rovers whose fleets from the rivers of the black sea insulted and threatened the great capital the early history of the russians is dim and vague but it seems almost certain that the process which created england and normandy created that which was to become russia scandinavian pirates and adventurers had become known on the baltic coast the varangian sea for their daring ferocity and strength they were called in or they conquered they established themselves among the finnish and slav tribes they became masters and rulers either as a dynasty or as a race they gradually adopted like the normans the speech of their slav subjects in a corner of that endless plain which stretches from germany to the steppes of the tartars and mongols and thence to china 
and of which the natural divisions are not mountains, but the streams, hundreds of miles in length, of deep and broad rivers, we hear of Rurik and of his two brothers about 862. They were Northmen, or as the Slavonians called them, Varangians, the name by which the northern bodyguard of the Greek emperors was known, who settled at Novgorod as the Jutes settled in Kent, and then Rollo at Rouen. The Russian Varangians conquered round about them, like their kindred in England and Gaul. They pushed southward, driving the Turkish Khazars from Kiev on the Dnieper, and making Kiev and Novgorod their chief cities. Their northern habits prompted them to use the great rivers for trade and war. By the Dnieper they carried on a brisk commerce with the Greek Empire, and four times between 865 and 1043 their flotillas sailed to the Bosphorus, ravaging its shores, and were beaten off with difficulty and loss. At this time arose the strange prophecy vouched for at the time that in the last days the Russians should become masters of Constantinople. The family of Rurik appears in the dim history as the counterpart to that of Rollo. Chief after chief kept up the inheritance of strength and the tradition of enterprise, and even ill fortune did not check them. One of them, Svatislav, 955-973, attempted Constantinople by land. He was outmaneuvered and driven back to the Danube by the Greek emperor, the Armenian John Simitskes. Surrounded on all sides, and without hope of escape, he was forced to capitulate and sign a humbling treaty, just as long afterwards Peter the Great, hemmed in on the Prut by the Ottomans, was compelled to buy his release by ignominious conditions in 1711. But Zvatislav's defeat did not hinder any more than that of Peter, the growth of the nation under his successors. After a short interval of bloody domestic war, he was followed, as great prince, by the great Vladimir, 973-1015, to the conqueror, the legislator, the builder of cities and founder of schools, who holds in the traditions of Russia the place held in England by Alfred and on the continent by Charles the Great and Otto. And about this time, the ninth and tenth centuries, had come over all these races, a change as great as that of their political organization, and closely connected with it. In these centuries, says Gibbon, the reign of the gospel and of the church was extended over Bulgaria, Hungary, Bohemia, Saxony, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Poland, and Russia. Their conversion went along with their introduction to civil life and order. Zealous and self-devoted missionaries, usually monks from the west or east, carrying their lives in their hands, first came preaching to men who were becoming ashamed and alarmed at their barbarism in the face of a civilization of which they felt the strength. In time the chiefs, from conviction, from feeling, or from imitation of the kings of the Franks and the emperor of the Greeks, were baptized. They encouraged the preachers of Christianity, and sometimes enforced the profession of it by violence and penalties. But its spread was certain when it once began. It was brought to Denmark and Sweden by a devoted monk of Corbey on the Vesa, Anshar, 826-865. The kings alternately protected and opposed it, till at length it was firmly planted under Canute. 
introduced into norway from england it was imposed upon their people by the two kings olaf trigvasom 955 to 1000 and olaf the saint 1019 to 1033 the apostles of the bulgarians cyril and methodius 862 to 885 were also the teachers of the moravians and bohemian czechs in 966 mikislav duke of the poles was baptized but among the slav vens between the elbe and the oda the efforts of the german emperors to christianize them called forth a fierce revolt 983 to 1066 and among them the missionaries had met little but martyrdom finally in 988 the powerful vladimir of russia whose grandmother olga had already brought christianity from constantinople to kiev in 955 was baptized at Cherson and received as his bride the greek emperor's daughter russia henceforth became the great conquest and strength of the eastern church the conversion of these last formed of the barbarian nations altered their relation to europe the admission says gibbon of the barbarians into the pale of civil and ecclesiastical society delivered europe from the depredations by sea and land of the normans hungarians and russians the establishment of law and order was promoted by the influence of the clergy and the rudiments of art and science were introduced into the savage countries of the globe End of section twenty four